This is Channel 253. Move to Tacoma. On this episode of Move to Tacoma. It's always helpful, especially when you're talking to people about local history. Sometimes it can be difficult for people to um, see how maybe it's relevant today. So I'm always trying to find those stories that will kind of make those connections between what's happening now and what's happened in the past. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Practicing physical distance, not social. I'm Marguerite, and I want you to move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. You'll like it. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma.com. Hi, I'm Marguerite, and this is Move to Tacoma, and I'm here with Anna Trammell from the Northwest Room uh, at the Tacoma Public Library. You are the new Northwest Room historian. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I'm kind of having a fangirl moment because before I had my own move to Tacoma, I relied very heavily on the Move to Tacoma website and certainly knew the name Marguerite Martin before I made my way out here. So it's so nice to meet you. Oh, it's so nice to meet you too. That's so exciting to hear. So, okay. Where did you move from? When did you move to Tacoma? Did you move here for this job? What's the story? So I am originally from South Carolina, so I am a long way from home, but I moved to Tacoma from Illinois, so I've been kind of gradually making my way further and further west, and and here I am. Um, So I was living in Illinois, working as an archivist for the University of Illinois, and I started to look for jobs. I wanted to try something new. I wanted to move to a different area. I had visited the Pacific Northwest a couple of times. I really love hiking and being outdoors. So I really had my heart set on kind of this part of the country. I had never visited Tacoma, but a position came open at Pacific Lutheran University uh, to manage their archives and special collections. So I moved out to Tacoma for that position about three years ago. So I'm still fairly new to Tacoma. And I I moved to the South End neighborhood, and I absolutely love that area and love my house. Um, it was kind of intimidating because I was a first-time home buyer, and I Skyped, you know, had a, a Skype call or a Zoom call with a local realtor who ended up helping us find our house, and, you know, he let us know right away it's a super competitive market, um, you know, houses are gone within 24 hours of being on the market, yeah. there bids that are way over the asking price. So we were a little terrified um, coming into the situation. And we actually got an Airbnb when we first came here as kind of a temporary housing solution, just so we could be here and explore the area. We had never really been to Tacoma. And even though we had looked at movetotacoma.com, we really wanted to make sure to, um, you know, explore different neighborhoods in person and just kind of get a feel for the city. So, um, yeah, so we stayed in an Airbnb for a little while, and thankfully, we were able to find a house right away, and it all worked out. Oh, that's awesome. I love I love hearing that. Relocating and buying a house is, that's an advanced maneuver that you executed there. Yes, yeah, and it's so difficult. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, what do you love about, about living in your neighborhood? Like, what's been, what's been your favorite part? 
Yeah, so it's just um, just a really nice neighborhood. It's really diverse and very intergenerational. You know, there are families that have been there for decades and then and a lot of older couples in the area, but then more and more there are, you know, younger families that are maybe moving from Seattle or other areas or other states. So there's just this really eclectic mix and all the houses are very unique and look really different and we're built in different time periods. It was an easy drive from the South End to PLU. It's an easy drive to TPL where I am now, walking distance to Wapato Park and Alling Park and just a great neighborhood. It's really worked out well for us. Oh, that's wonderful. I love hearing that. So how did the gig at Tacoma Public Library come about? How did you make that connection? Yeah, so when I first moved to Tacoma, um, whenever I talked to anyone and they found out that I was working in an archive at PLU and working in local history, everybody started singing the praises of the Northwest Room. It was one of the first things that I started hearing about. You have to go visit the Northwest Room. You have to go visit the Northwest Room. So I did pretty early in my time in Tacoma. It was one of my first stops. I showed up and said, I'm an archivist. Can I have a tour? I've heard such great things about the Northwest Room. So um, Alona Perry, who's now my colleague here in the Northwest Room, you know, dropped everything she was doing and gave me kind of a behind the scenes tour, pointed out some of the highlights of the collection. And I was just really blown away by, by the collection. I mean, many public libraries have some sort of, you know, local history collections, um, but these were just so extensive and the staff was so knowledgeable about local history and about the collections. Um, so I was just really excited to to learn about the Northwest Room. And then I started referring students who I was working with at PLU when I would teach classes that intersected with local history topics. I would always point them to the Northwest Room's resources. So I became pretty familiar with the Northwest Room just as a user. So um, because of an re a retirement, then this position opened up and it was sort of reconfigured. Um, and the position opened up, you know, shortly before everything shut down with COVID. So I applied for it and then had this very, you know, long, unusual, protracted interview process over the course of COVID. Um, yeah, so that that's how it opened up. And it was really just I was in the right place at the right time. And um, I'm really excited about this position because it allows me to work more closely with the community. And the scope of the collections isn't focused on just one institution. It's all of all of Tacoma. Yeah. Um, and that's so exciting, especially as I continue to fall more and more in love with the city. So I've only been to the Northwest Room once. And it's a, it's a really unusual place. It's like you go into the library, but then there's this part of the library that's got like columns, <laughs> and it's very fancy. And then, you know, like I, I see stuff from the Northwest Room collection, it's usually photographs, like really unusual or surprising historic photographs. But then also like my neighbor was really into house history and family genealogy. So like I moved into the Lincoln district and he like showed up at my house with like a pile of paperwork. He's like, here's everything we know about your house. Like he just did that for everybody in the neighborhood. And I was like, where is this from? He's like, Northwest room. And I was like, what? So I'm very curious, like how you would describe the collection and, and how people are accessing it. When I went in, I was curious about 
history of real estate in Tacoma, in particular my association, because I know we opposed fair housing, we opposed open housing. Like we were basically mm-hmm. anti-integration in the 50s and 60s in Tacoma. And I wanted to know, well, who was it? Like who specifically, like who are the beneficiaries of this? And, and I got a little bit confused. So I would love to know, like, how are other people using it? How could I use the Northwest Room to continue my mission of understanding like our history? That's, yeah. that's like the biggest open question. I'll just take a class now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it is uh, kind of an unusual setup that we have here in the main library branch. If you just stand out on the sidewalk and look at the building, it looks like two completely different buildings that have just been smushed together, which is basically what it is. Mm-hmm. So the Northwest Room was the original library. So it was a Carnegie Library. Um, it was the first Carnegie Library in the state of Washington, and I think the 85th in the United States. Mm -hmm. So um, the whole library used to be that Carnegie building built in 1903, and that is now the home of the Northwest Room. And then this additional building, as the library grew and as Tacoma grew, it pretty quickly outgrew this one little space. Um, So this additional building was constructed in 1952, and they were sort of linked together. And I think that the plan was they were supposed to look a little more cohesive, but due to budget constraints, that that couldn't really happen. No, um, no way. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So um, I feel very lucky to work in the original Carnegie building because it's a beautiful building. It's got this beautiful decorative kind of dome ceiling and the columns that you mentioned. Um, So right now we are still closed um, to the public, but we are hoping to begin offering appointments soon. Um, So look for more details coming up about that. Um, But the So people come to us in person, but also call us, um, email us with questions, and we, you know, serve people living in the city of Tacoma, but we get questions from all over the world from researchers who are interested in a topic that happens to intersect with our collections. So our collections, I I like to think of the Northwest Room as the home of the library's rare and unique collections. Mm -hmm. So um, in the branch libraries or elsewhere in the main library where the Northwest Room is located, you know, often the materials that we have will be held by other other libraries, their books that can be checked out and and taken home or DVDs or some of our other materials, but they're things that can be found in other libraries in the world or bookstores. But the Northwest Room houses the library's rare and unique collections. So these are materials that often we have the only copy that exists in the world potentially. So these include things like our extensive photograph collections, maps, architectural drawings, um, rare books, and Um, Increasingly, we are working on making some of our manuscript collections more discoverable. So these are things like personal papers from Tacoma residents or various organizations that have existed in Tacoma, um, papers of former mayors and um, labor unions and things like that. So it's really a wide variety of materials. And when I say personal papers, I'm talking about things like correspondence and journals and scrapbooks and things like that. So really we're focused on anything that can help us tell 
told the story of the history of the city of Tacoma. And part of my job in this role is to begin to think about how we can move the Northwest Room into the 21st century. So we're, of course, very um, focused on preserving those physical materials. And I think when people think about the Northwest Room, they're thinking about those old newspapers and journals and things like that. But we also need to be thinking about what is being created now that people researching our history 50 years from now will need access to. And that's mostly born digital content. So these are things like websites and social media records and digital photographs. So this is what we're moving into collecting more of so we can make sure we're preserving that content as it's happening so that it's available for future generations. What is the, I mean, what is the criteria for present day, like capturing the moment, capturing the record of the moment? Like, how would you know what's worthy of archiving? Like, who gets to decide that? Right. So one of the things that we're doing is trying to identify the gaps in our holdings. So we're trying to look at what we have and try to identify whose stories are missing and whose stories have been um, insufficiently acknowledged when telling the story of Tacoma's history. And of course, we can try to go back and fill in some of those gaps that exist in, in our holdings up to the present day. But another thing that we can do is start partnering with the communities who are underrepresented in local history and in our collections and try to partner with them to make sure we're not um, perpetuating some of those silences moving forward. So thinking about, um, you know, various activist organizations, can we help them preserve some of the digital content that they're creating? So much of that communication is through social media and is online. So what can we do to to support their work and preserve that content um, in a way that takes into account, you know, their their concerns about about privacy, for example, or making these materials accessible. So it's really about, um, you know, not going in and saying, we're the Northwest Room, we're the the archivist, we're going to start taking care of these materials, but having this partnership that's ongoing um, and collaborative. So we can make sure that some of those gaps don't exist in the future. So I feel like there's there's so much to talk about when it comes to the Northwest Room. There's so many opportunities to kind of dive in and access it as a as a as a normal person that lives in Tacoma. So I'm thinking there, there's maybe two ways to go with this conversation. There's one, it's like, how do I access what you have? What what are the reasons I might be accessing what you have and, and what what can be illuminating from that? And then um, how would I know if I was someone who maybe had something to share with you that you might want to see? Like, what, what, what would you tell me? Yeah, so right now, um, our digital collections have been increasingly useful as people haven't been able to come in in person. Um, So we have very extensive digital collections. So these include digitized photographs, some digitized artwork, oral histories, and our indexes that I think you alluded to earlier, our buildings index and our um, obituaries index. So these collections are available anytime, anywhere, totally publicly accessible um, for you to, you know, browse and and use these images. So um, images, like I could take a picture, like a historic picture from the Northwest room and like turn it into a reel on Instagram. Like there's no 
that's not breaking the law or anything. Yeah, so oftentimes our images are in the public domain, so they're old enough that they are, you know, totally, it's totally acceptable to use them, reuse them, remix them. Um, and then some of our images, the creator of that photograph will have given us permission to make them available. Um, so each item on our digital collections will have some sort of copyright statement, which will give you more information about how it can be used. Um, but we definitely encourage people to to use our images. We appreciate when the Northwest Rube is credited just so people know where to go to um, find more images like that. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. so images. Um, mm -hmm. You can be like my former neighbor Chad and uh, his, look at the history of houses and the families that have lived in them. How would how did you do that? Like how is yes. that? So we have something called the uh, Pierce County Tacoma Buildings Index. And this is a huge, very unique database. And this is available if you just Google Tacoma Public Library Buildings Index, it'll be like the first result that will come up. So these are entries for, we have over 75,000 entries in this database for various addresses in Tacoma and in Pierce County. So you can do a search for your address and what you'll see is if we have any images of that property that have been digitized, those will be available there. And you'll also see a list of any references to that property that have been found in things like the City of Tacoma directories or um, various newspapers. So you'll see uh, a description of the newspaper, a little bit of information about the headline or, or what was mentioned there about the address and the date. So it won't provide access to the full article, but it gives you some basic information for you to get started on your research. So if you search for a particular address, then you may see a reference to a News Tribune article from, you know, 1960, and then you can look up that article by coming in or contacting us about that. So why do we have this? So this was just an incredible undertaking um, by a, the, the person who retired from the Northwestern, Brian Caymans, who is kind of a, a name that lots of longtime Tacoma residents will certainly remember. Um, and he retired in 2019, and he spent just decades working in the Northwestern. He just had this incredible um, knowledge of Tacoma history, just an irreplaceable replaceable knowledge of all things Tacoma. And he actually went through all of the Tacoma newspapers, the News Tribune, the Tacoma Ledger, all of these newspapers and scanned them for references to any address and then created an actual like catalog card oh, wow. for that address. And now we've kind of converted this to a digital format. Um, but my other colleague here in the Northwest Room, Spencer Bowman, he continues that practice. So every day when the News Tribune or other local um, publications come out, then he will look for those addresses to make sure that the building's index stays up to date and we'll have a record of that. So, okay, so we have the images. Yes. We have the Pierce County Tacoma Buildings Index. Mm -hmm. And then what is the genealogy aspect of this? Is this something that the Northwest Room is involved in as well? 
Yeah, so we have um, uh, some extensive genealogical resources, and you don't have to be from Tacoma necessarily to, to utilize these. So um, we have a collection of genealogical books and published family histories and things like that. But we can also, um, the library as a whole subscribes to things like Ancestry.com, Heritage Quest, other resources like that. that I we... don't have to subscribe <laughs> to Ancestry. Like I can just come to you and be like, so... <laughs> yeah, so we, we certainly can get people started on researching their family history and doing genealogical research. And so we have um, databases that help support that, but also some of our, you know, print publications and materials can help inform that research as well. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, yeah. so if I want to get started first with just these these first three that you're talking about, like in the in the COVID time, you know, before we all get our second shots and figure out how to save the kids and all that stuff, um, <laughs> do I just call you and say, I'm looking for images like this, or I'm looking for information on my family history around this this specific line, or like how do how do people use it? Yeah, so a lot of people will just use our our online collections, but that's really just, you know, kind of the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of our, what we actually have in our holdings. Mm -hmm. But that's a good place to start, um, particularly if you're wanting to research your, um, a particular address or the history of your house, going there and taking a look at that. And if you contact us, that's usually the first place that will point you. So you can kind of see what's here, what am I interested in, um, and see where you want to take your research from there. So some of these entries in the buildings index are more extensive than mm -hmm. others, um, but that's a good place to start. And then you start can online. always yep, start online and then you can follow up with us by email or phone and we can help you with kind of that, that next step or point you in the right direction. And when we begin um, reopening and offering appointments, then you can come in and take a look at things like, you know, the, the print versions or the microfilm versions of some of our newspapers, or look at our city directories, which date back to 1885. And you can begin kind of tracing the history of a particular address or um, tracing the, the history of a particular person who may have lived in Tacoma. So uh, just to be very selfish, uh, okay. let's use me as an example. Okay. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I've been very curious about, you know, there was recently like a big kerfuffle in Bellevue, um, historically, like um, the Japanese farmers in that community, obviously they were sent to internment camps and their, their land was taken from them by a, a real estate developer that ended up developing Bellevue Square. And some local artists, you know, told that story and it was all kind of squashed. Uh, it, it wasn't all that well squashed because it ended up in the newspaper. I think it was in Crosscut. But um, <laughs> the, the descendant of that developer is a very wealthy developer in Bellevue right now. And he, he didn't want his name associated with, you know, basically the origin of his wealth. And I think that that is those kinds of stories. I know there are more of those stories. And here in Tacoma, you know, we had our Japanese community also was interred and like it never recovered. Um, Michael Sullivan has talked about that on the podcast before. There are other local historians who've spoken about that. Um, and I'm, I'm curious when I think about situations, that, that's just one example that I know of just because it's come up on the podcast. But we also have, like I said, my, my association. We, they were real people that for whatever reason, you know, in their lives, you know, opposed certain kinds of progress. And like, 
who were those people? How do you find out? Like, who was the president of my association? Who was on the board? Like, who was quoted in the paper saying integration is a bad idea? And like, what happened to them? Are they really rich now? Do they like own all the real estate companies in Tacoma? Like, these are questions I have. They, they might not have answers, but like, how would I go about I, I, I feel like I wandered into the Northwest room and I, and, and the guy was so nice and he gave me this like big stack of newspaper articles. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, they were fascinating, but I was like, how do I figure this out? Like, I'm not, I'm not a librarian. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult because archival research is very, you know, it's hard to do and it yeah. requires a lot of time because we have millions and millions of pages worth of information and there's no way we'll ever be able to digitize all of it and make it all searchable. Um, so it's a really difficult process and it does require kind of gathering pieces of information from multiple sources and putting it together to tell a story or to create an argument. But some of the examples that you mentioned are, are really interesting because I think one of the most important things about special collections and about archives is their ability to hold people and hold institutions accountable. So these are records of, you know, what people were thinking and doing, things like meeting minutes and, um, you know, <laughs> deliberations over city council resolutions and, and things like this. So they can be used to take power into account and kind of um, reckon with, with our history and, um, and the impact it's had on, on specific communities in Tacoma. So I think that there are, um, you know, some topics that have been researched more than others, like the uh, Tacoma method and the expulsion yeah. of, of the Chinese community here in Tacoma. You know, that's um, a topic that um, many listeners may, may have heard of and something that's been looked into. Um, but there's so many more stories. Yeah. The Tacoma methods come up on the podcast, but like probably 30 episodes ago. Would you be willing to just summarize that really quickly for anyone who might be like, wait, what's the Tacoma method? <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not the best expert um, in this topic, certainly not as well versed as someone like Michael Sullivan. Um, but the, the Tacoma method, basically, there was a, um, a Chinese community in Tacoma, um, you know, that included a number of um, Chinese immigrants who owned local businesses and, and had families here. Um, and basically, under the leadership of a former Tacoma mayor, Mayor Wyatt, Eisbach, I believe was his name. Um, he, uh, a group of people, basically a mob, um, came into the, the community and demanded that uh, the Chinese residents leave Tacoma. Um, and they were, train, I think. Yeah, and they were forcefully, um, they, they were just forced to, to leave their homes. Um, so they were given, you know, some sort of notice saying that, um, I think it was on November 5th, you will be um, escorted out of Tacoma. And so many left by that date, but many didn't. Um, and they, you know, looked to um, state government to intervene and to, to help them, um, but no one intervened and they were forcefully removed and um, in some cases weren't even able to, to pack their things and their personal mm -hmm. belongings and they were just forcefully removed from from the city and it became known as the Tacoma method. Yeah, so I, certainly a, a dark um, a dark point in our past and I think that um, 
you know, there are many other stories like that mm-hmm. that have just been insufficiently explored. And it's because, you know, if, if those materials weren't saved or they weren't, um, or they're not being, being utilized to tell these stories, then those stories aren't, aren't told. And I think that the way that we tell history, whether it's um, local history or, or national history, um, you know, we tend to tell these stories from a top-down approach. So kind of who are the big names, who are the really important people, and that way of telling history um, just reinforces existing power structures. Mm -hmm. So one of the great things about collections like ours at the Northwest Room is that, of course, we do have materials that kind of um, tell those those big stories from kind of a top-down approach. We have papers of former mayors and the city council and people like that that. Um, But we also have papers and materials um, from just everyday Tacoma residents who can tell us some of their their perspective. Um, So I think with any of these stories that that we try to tell or whenever we're helping a um, a user on their, um, with their historical research, we try to, you know, talk about the ways that we can kind of combine multiple perspectives to tell the story so that we um, can avoid the trap of kind of this top-down historical approach. Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding pass isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this. Skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for making travel smoother, and thank you for your support of Channel 253. of any examples of, you know, either stories like the Tacoma Method, which are sort of well-known because now we have Chinese Reconciliation Park was mm-hmm. partially intended to begin atoning for that. But like, are there stories that you know from our history where you see parallels between things that are happening now? I, I, I imagine from, in my mind, I think like finding out the answers to these, some, some of these questions would be so illuminating for mm-hmm. the decisions that we have to make now. I think about Chris Carnes tweeting all of the public comment about at home in Tacoma, which is they're trying to increase the density in every neighborhood in Tacoma and build more housing and the people that object versus the people that really want this and their reasons why, like to me, that would be a great thing to preserve, but also like what were the comments 50 or 60 years ago about these things and do they align? Is there, are there similar, do you see things like that? Do you see a river running through it all? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always, um, it's, 
always helpful, especially when you're talking to people about local history. Sometimes it can be difficult for people to um, see how maybe it's relevant today. So I'm always trying to find those stories that will kind of make those connections between what's happening now and what's happened in the past. And I think that you can certainly see that. And when I've worked with uh, students in the past, including at PLU, that was always a way to um, sort of get them engaged in thinking about history and thinking about how history is preserved, but also how it's created. Mm. Um, so one entry point to kind of having that discussion is thinking about the, the Northwest Detention Center that's here in Tacoma. And that's a topic that, um, you know, many, many students that I worked with at PLU um, were were involved in kind of activism around, um, around that center and the presence of that center in Tacoma. And that's a good way to, um, you know, bring, bring a topic that's, that's relevant, that they're familiar with, and trying to connect that to something like the, the Tacoma method or to something um, about the, the history of immigration in Tacoma and think about how it's changed, how it's stayed the same, um, how immigrant communities have been treated in Tacoma's past. Um, so any time that we can kind of make those connections, and I think we can see it with any um, any topic that's being discussed now, we can look at climate change and connect that to the Sarco smelter plant in Tacoma. Um, we can connect it to um, various activities that some of the local indigenous tribes are engaged in to try to protect our environment and looking at the history of how those groups have been involved in climate activism. Um, so I think that that's you know, a very, a good way to think about it is how we can connect the the past to the present. Um, you know, I got as when COVID was was starting, a lot of people were thinking about um, connections to between COVID and the 1917 flu pandemic. Um, so thinking about you know things like mask and social distancing and how uh, what was the messaging around that in 1917 and how has it changed? How was it the same? Uh, and then looking back even further in Tacoma's history to um, a smallpox outbreak in 1885, where they actually had um, sort of a, a floating hospital that they established on a, a boat for people who, um, who had smallpox so that they could be quarantined out on the water and kind of removed from, from the rest of the population. So thinking about how these things come in cycles and how sometimes they're um, examining the similarities and the differences between these events can be very illuminating. It just feels like there's there's so much that we don't know. Uh, there's not an easy way to. I mean, it would be. I'm just imagining like how cool would it be if you guys had like an like a full time person whose job was it to like turn it into great blog posts and Instagram reels for us explaining like here's what people said about masks in Tacoma. Here's what people said about closing businesses during the Spanish flu. I imagine yeah. they probably said similar things. You know, like to just like you know, like they joke and, and they don't joke. Like it's a real thing in content marketing. They say news jack, you know, create content that's based on today's news in order to get people to click on it. Like how do we right. library jack? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, how do we history jack? Like, yeah. what's going on? Because I feel like if we were in a bigger city like Tacoma or Portland has like a whole Wikipedia entry that's just like things people said during the Spanish flu in mm-hmm. Portland itself. Mm-hmm. Like all what exactly what happened? I don't think Tacoma has that. And so, like, how how? And that's just I know that the Spanish flu is just one example, but like, or the the flu of nineteen eighteen. How do we <laughs> how do we begin to like? find out how to make something like that happen. Or I, I don't mean right, yeah. give you more work. I just mean, in general. <laughs> how do we value that as a community? Yeah. So um, even though my, my title is Northwest Room Historian, um, you know, I, my, the main part of my job is kind of doing less of the actual interpretation of these materials and instead focusing more on providing access. So I want to make the materials that we have discoverable and usable so that I can encourage other people, whether they are local historians or just people who, you know, have a blog and are interested in a particular topic. I want them to be able to see, okay, this is what they have. This is how I can use it. And then I can help them tell that story. So we are, that's really what I've been putting most of my energy into since I started um, just a couple months ago is is I mentioned that our digital collections are really just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, So even though we have thousands and thousands of entries and photographs in our digital collections, um, that's what most people think of when they think of the Northwest Rooms collections. They think of those materials or, um, you know, some of our things like local yearbooks and materials like that, that you can find by searching the library's catalog. But we have huge amounts of content that have never been accessible to the public because we just haven't had the dedicated, you know, staff time to apply to actually making those discoverable. So I've been spending a lot of my time down in our basement here, <laughs> um, finding all kinds of yeah, right. <laughs> finding all kinds of amazing one of a kind materials, and these really take um, a lot of time to make discoverable because you can't just say oh, we have this person's papers and it's a hundred boxes and here you go, good luck. Like that's not going to um, to help anyone. So what we're trying to do is create Um, very discoverable descriptions um, that are publicly available online so people have a real understanding of what we have and a description of what's in every box, what's in every folder, who created these materials, what are the dates associated with them. So one of the projects that we're working on right now is we're going to launch a new collections database. So we have our digital collections that are searchable, but this will be distinct from that. And it will be a very user-friendly place where people can go search for a topic. They can limit by dates. Mm -hmm. They can limit um, by um, if material is in copyright or if it's free to reuse. Mm -hmm. And that will lead them to um, descriptions of these materials that we have. So people can contact us about a particular folder in this 
mayor's papers that they want to see, or they can um, they can have an understanding of you know where where are the gaps. Maybe I can donate my personal papers to the Northwest Room or the papers of my family that could help tell this story that's not currently represented. Mm -hmm. So what we'd like to do is have a very detailed description of everything that we have in our collection, not just the digitized materials, so that people are empowered to use our collections and do their own research. Um, so I've been having a lot of fun um, working on these materials, um, making sure they're properly housed so that they are um, preserved long term so that they're in the proper types of storage containers. Um, if it's a piece of obsolete media like a you know laser disc or a floppy disk that we're extracting that so we can have that actual information um, and make sure it's preserved long term. So um, these are things like city council resolutions going back to 1887, for example, or I just finished um, processing the papers of a former Tacoma mayor who was mayor when the Tacoma Dome was constructed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over his term as mayor, he just touched on all of these topics. So in the letters that people were writing, or in the legislation that he was preparing or that was being debated, um, all of these topics are, are revealed that you may be surprised to, to find in these papers. So if we have that level of description, you know, people may not think, oh, I want to, you know, go in and research the history of this particular mayor and his story, but some of that correspondence and those meeting minutes um, that appear in his papers may inform a variety of topics. All right, so uh, you've been digging in the basement for two and a half months. Yes. What's the weirdest <laughs> thing you found so far? <laughs> oh man, the, I should have been prepared for this because I feel like this is a. <laughs> I feel like this is a question that uh, that archivists always get. So, I've been really surprised by the amount of keys to the city I found. Oh, like they so, give them out really um, newly. <laughs> Apparently, so the first one I found, you know, it was this bright golden key mounted on a plaque and it said key to the city of Tacoma and I thought, I have found the key to the city. This is amazing. This is the only one that was ever created. And then I started seeing pictures of other people getting keys to the city or I'd climb up to the top of the ladder and open a box and it would be full of keys to the city. So apparently time, this was... <laughs> when was the last time somebody got the key to the city? That would be a good thing to, to look into because I we have several of them. So I'm sure that we don't have a comprehensive collection yeah, of all keys to the that cities. Key wrong? Like we're not going to have <laughs> any idea who it was. Right. <laughs> so um, I know from like the Twitters this year and conversations I've seen that funding for the library is tight. And I think from my understanding, it's diminishing. And I know that this is delicate territory for you as someone who works there, but for people who are listening, who want to support funding the library and possibly even increasing fund, funding for the library in Tacoma, like how, how do you make, how do you get money to support your work and how can individuals, you know, advocate to support your work? 
Yeah, so um, we have had some significant budget challenges um, that have emerged as a result of, of COVID. Um, and even prior to COVID, you know, I think public libraries in general are just underfunded. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, there's just kind of a general um, a general atmosphere of austerity that impacts services like public libraries. And um, all staff at Tacoma Public Library um, have agreed to take a an unpaid furlough both this year and next year to help. Wow. Um, yeah, so um, everybody is, is taking two weeks. Um, we already had one and then one's coming up later this year. So two unpaid weeks off wow. and then uh, we'll have another unpaid furlough next next year. So um, I, I really appreciate that that uh, agreement was reached so that we didn't have to lay off staff, but certainly that is a, a significant reduction um, for the people who work here. So we recently had a library giving day and that was really exciting. It just happened a couple of weeks ago and uh, we were raising money for our digital media lab. And it was just so exciting to see kind of the outpouring of support, you know, people saying, things like I'm giving you my my stimulus check to help fund the library so there's just this really giving community a very devoted community around the Northwest Room and around the library as a whole um, and certainly when there were discussions about the the budget deficit for the library and the potential of staff being laid off um, there was really just an outpouring of very vocal support and I just want listeners to know that 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 makes a difference kind of having people reach out to the board, um, people reach out to city council just to tell them about the importance of the library um, to describe certain library services that they use, whether it's the Northwest Room or um, children's programs or our digital media lab. Um, those stories really make a difference. So I would certainly encourage people to continue reaching out and sharing their stories about how the library has um, has positively impacted them. If you were, I mean, and again, I'm putting you on the spot and I'll just keep, I guess, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no problem. If you were to like make a case for libraries, like wh why, why do people who maybe haven't had, like maybe like me, like I've been to the Northwest room, but I don't know that I've been to the library for a while. I know a lot of my friends go to the library regularly with their kids, the way that I went with my mom when I was a kid, but like, why do libraries matter? And why does funding libraries matter, especially now? Yeah, so libraries exist for the public good, and there's not many um, areas of our community, there's not many systems that you can, can say that about now. Um, so they exist for the people, funded by the people, um, and publicly accessible. So there is no, um, obviously some barriers to entry exist anywhere, but we're trying to reduce some of those barriers to entry um, through you know, making some more of our materials available online, investing in digital resources. Um, so these are, you know, publicly available materials. We don't ask for um, you to purchase a membership like, you know, Netflix or something like right. that. Um, these, you know, are, are here for, for the people of the city of Tacoma. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, you know, really unique. I also think that now more than ever, there's just not a lot of public 
spaces, you know, you have maybe your your work or your home. And now for many people, those are the, the same locations um, as many people are working from home. And there's not um, just kind of a, a public place for people to go, kind of this third location, a place for people to, um, when it's not COVID times, for people to gather and attend programs and utilize resources and sort of gather in, in one place. So I like to think of the library as uh, that type of a physical space that just doesn't really exist um, anymore. And then for places like the Northwest Room in particular, um, these special collections we hold materials that in some cases don't exist. In many cases, they don't exist anywhere else. If they're not here, then they won't be accessible to people. Um, so we are, you know, a unique resource and there are certainly um, other places in Tacoma that are focused on preserving local history, the Tacoma Historical Society and uh, the Washington State History Museum. But our scope is, um, really just, you know, we are devoted to preserving the history of Tacoma, and that can mean a lot of different things. It can mean um, preserving and providing access to and exhibiting artifacts like you'd see in a museum, um, but it can also mean you know, preserving these one-of-a-kind um, paper items, the photographs and, uh, and the documents that help tell the story, and providing access to them. So, you know, oftentimes, archives and special collections libraries can be difficult places to access. Some of these some rare and unique materials are held by, um, you know, universities that may be difficult to gain access to or private rare book libraries where you actually have to go through an application process and have letters of recommendation to even get in the door. Yeah. And we are, we are open and we want to provide access. So everything that we're doing is trying to move a step closer to to dismantling those barriers to access. And, you know, I recognize that it can be an intimidating experience to think, you know, I'm going to the Northwest Room and I'm going to do archival research and I'm going to dig into the boxes and, yeah. you know, read the cursive handwriting and all of that. It, it can be a very intimidating process. Yeah. Um, so anything we can do to sort of break down the barriers to um, to that work and just empower people to do their own research and let them know, yes, this is something you can do. You don't need to be a credentialed historian to um, create and, and think about local history and discover local history. That's so great. Anna, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you really want to make sure that we understand about the Northwest Room? Let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, we've kind of touched on this, this topic, but one thing that we are really spending a lot of time thinking about now is um, whose stories are missing yeah. and how we can fill in some of the gaps in local history, fill in some of the gaps in our collections. And I mentioned that that process will involve partnering with the community to try to fill in those gaps. Um, so we've started talking about community archives projects that we, we can begin working on that will um, involve us kind of going out into the community when it's possible to do so to um, capture some of that 
content. And in some cases, you know, traditionally we have physically acquired, you know, these materials and we catalog them and preserve them and they're held in our space. But that's not always, you know, an appropriate thing to do when you're um, trying to build a partnership with a community. So we're trying to think of ways we can, you know, go into the community, kind of get out from the Northwest Room. It's a, a beautiful building, of course, but we need to be going beyond our four walls and finding ways to, um, you know, just get outside of those barriers and uh, bring in new materials. So this may be um, something where we're going out and recording oral histories at various festivals or community centers or events that are taking place in Tacoma, um, photographing people's family recipe books and scrapbooks and things like that. Um, even if it's something that, you know, they're going to hang on to and maybe it's not going to come and live at the Northwest Room, we'll have, you know, at least a, a part of that that captured and represented. So we're trying to think outside the box in terms of of what can the Northwest Room be that it hasn't been in the past. And maybe that um, is going to look very, very untraditional for us. But I think there are some really exciting things we can do. And, you know, another thing that we've been thinking about is how we can best connect our, our existing collections to um, communities that aren't necessarily our traditional users. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't, you know, expect everyone to come into the Northwest room ready to, you know, dive into a hundred boxes of somebody's yeah. papers. Um, we should be, be meeting people where they are. And we can do some of that through things like social media, but we're also thinking about traveling exhibits and how we can just go out and um, bring a sampling of the collections to people so we can hopefully, you know, spark their interest and they'll want to connect with us and, and learn more or possibly donate their own uh, materials to the Northwest Room for us to preserve. So if there's someone listening right now who maybe is from a community that historically has been underrepresented or not represented at all in the story we tell of Tacoma's history. Like, what would you say to them if they're like, oh, I think I might have some stuff, but like, I don't know about sharing it with these guys. Like, what, what would you yeah. say? Yeah, so I would say if they, they feel comfortable reaching out to us by email, um, our email address is nwr for northwestroom at tacomalibrary.org. Um, and if they want to talk to me directly, they can just email that address and um, and we will I will get back to them personally, but just kind of give us an idea of what what materials you're thinking about and um, what maybe some of your concerns are. And we can talk through that. And maybe it's a situation where if the Northwest Room isn't the best home for, for the materials, or maybe we can't address all of the concerns, then maybe it's a situation where we can um, either give you support for preserving your own personal papers mm -hmm. and, um, you know, keeping them in, in a way that's going to ensure long-term preservation, or we can connect you to another repository. 
Um, and this was something that, that I've done pretty frequently in my previous work. I used to work at the University of Illinois and I worked with a number of student activist organizations and they did not want to donate their materials for understandable reasons to the university. And even though I saw a distinction um, when I was talking to these students between myself and kind of the rest of the university bureaucracy, I had to acknowledge that, you know, I am a part of, of the institution that in many cases these students were protesting. Yeah. So in that situation, you know, it made more sense for me to either give them the training for this is the best way to preserve your social media records or your website to make sure it's available for future members or that you can pass on after you graduate. Mm -hmm. Or let me connect you to the state historical society or this national archives that is dealing with this particular topic. Um, so I think there's lots of conversations to be had and certainly, you know, I'm available to, um, to help talk you through some of that. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and answering all of my questions. Um, I know a lot of folks, I've, I've spoken about the Northwest Room with people before, and I think so many of us know just enough about it to be a little dangerous and it's great <laughs> to kind of dive deep and find out what exactly how many keys of the city are in the <laughs> library. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm excited. I know I was, I've made tons of notes while we've been talking about, I'm going to go dig around in there and, and see what fun stuff I can find. Absolutely. And certainly feel free to reach out to us. And um, I really look forward to some of these projects that we're working on, some of these coming to fruition. So hopefully people will have more access to our collections. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Want to learn more about life in Tacoma? Visit movetotacoma.com. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Move to Tacoma as part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, We Art Tacoma, Flounders Beat Team, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.